Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. We're not always very good at recognising what God is doing. I think often we're overly focused on the things that perhaps seem most impressive and exciting, and we often miss what is the the big things that God is really doing. Uh, Imagine if someone went to the football and you asked them afterwards about how it had been, and they told you all about... Uh, where they were seated and the food that they ate, the pre-game entertainment, the lighting and the crowd, uh, but didn't mention the game or the result. Now, maybe there are some people who, who might say that if you took them to the football, but you'd still be right to say they'd actually missed what it was all about. Those other things are part of the experience, but they're meant to be complementary to and to highlight the game. And they've missed the main thing. And we can be a bit like that with what God is doing. Uh, We miss the main thing that he's doing. And the opening words of the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, show us this wonderful miracle that God is doing. And Paul is excited about it and he's thankful to God for it. And I want us to see God is doing the same thing among us and around us and around the world. And so I hope you'll see that it's exciting and wonderful. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking in lots of ways, it's seeing this in the Bible and then seeing it in other people's lives and even in my own life that really keeps me going, certainly in ministry and I guess in lots of ways as a Christian. So I hope you'll be more thankful to God for his work, more amazed at what he's done and more determined to be part of it. So Paul writes this letter to the people in Colossae. Uh, He hasn't been there, or he certainly hasn't been there to preach at the church. He wasn't the missionary who established the church. He doesn't know them personally, he says, but he knows about them because of Epaphras. Uh, Now, we don't know a lot about Epaphras, but uh, presumably we know that Epaphras came originally from Colossae. Uh, Colossae's up the top of the Lycus Valley. Presumably he met Paul in Ephesus down the valley. Uh, Paul was there for several years ministering. Uh, and Epaphras heard the gospel and then travelled back to Colossae and Herapolis and Laodicea, other cities up around the top of the valley. And he shared the gospel there and people became Christians and churches were established. And now he's been back to see Paul and he's told Paul about them. That's what Paul says. So verse <coughs> 7, he says, You learned it, the gospel, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And that's the great news that he's heard from Epaphras that God has changed these people in Colossae. The new Christians have been transformed. And so Paul opens by saying, we opens the letter after the greeting with saying, we give thanks to God 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. That, that, that's what he has heard God has brought about in their lives and that is what he's so amazed and excited about. Their faith in Christ and their love for God's people. Their faith in Christ is, the tr- is their trust that Jesus really is their Lord and Saviour. And you actually see that idea uh, threaded through the rest of the book of Colossians. Uh, so, for instance, later on, about halfway through chapter 1, he reminds them that Christ is Lord. He's the firstborn Son of God. Everything has been made through him and for him. He is before all things, and all things hold together because of him. He's the firstborn from the dead, the head of the church, so that he's supreme in all things. He is their Lord, and he's their Saviour. Verse 21, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Uh, Our best guess is that the people Paul's writing to were Gentiles, not, not Jews. They haven't grown up knowing the God of Israel. They haven't grown up reading the scriptures. But they've come to realize that there is not multiple gods and multiple powers, but one God and one Lord... And not only that, but they can come into his kingdom. Uh, Even more amazingly, they've come to believe that a a Jewish man, Jesus, is God himself, has lived and died and rose again, and that from him God has given them blessing and life and security Uh, You see it reflected, if you turn over to chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, you see Paul reminding them of what they know and the faith that they have uh, and and urging them to continue that way. So the beginning of chapter 3, he says, You've been raised with Christ, so set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Christ, we'll see this passage doesn't come in the order you might expect it. Christ has and exalted, seated next to the, in the right hand of God, um, and they have been raised with him. That, that, that's their spiritual reality. Uh, he, he goes on, verse 3, you died. Uh, now, obviously, they didn't physically, literally die. They're, they're reading his letter. He's writing to them. So what he means is that when Christ died, they have died with Christ. And their life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then when Christ, who is your life now, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so you hear, there's the narrative of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension and the promise that he will return. And that's what's true for them too. And that's what they've come to believe. This has become their reality. They've been raised with Christ, hidden Their life is hidden with him. When he returns, they will be with him in glory. That's the one they're now invested in. That's the one they've trusted on. They've they've turned away from other gods and other worship 
and they are focused on Jesus as Lord. And then because they have faith in Jesus, they're part of the people that he is creating and they've learnt to love one another. And so later on in chapter 3, Paul describes the way in which their identity has changed, the new reality of being God's loved people and how the love that God has shown them is and should flow out into their relationships with each other. So chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Don't lie to each other because you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or Gentile or Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Uh, that, that's the experience they've had, uh, that they've now in Christ entered into this new people in which those divisions have been broken down and they're living that out. Well then verse 12 he says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Uh, they know that Christ, God has loved them in Christ and so they're showing that to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. They've been forgiven by God and they're showing that to one another. And so that's the kind of thing that Paul's thinking about when he says, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. There's been this thorough spiritual and social change. Instead of worshipping powers that demand things of them and threaten them and have to be placated, they've met God in Christ who loves them and forgives them and protects them and cares for them. And now they're connected with one another and they're treating each other God's way. Now, of course, they're not perfect. Uh, he's writing to encourage them to keep going. But he opens the letter rejoicing in this change. And notice the source of this transformation. What is it that's brought about this change? He knows the reason. Chapter 1, verse 5, The faith and love spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, I don't think he's there just saying, you know, there's some future hope that you've, you know, that, sort of pie-in-the-sky hope that maybe one day, you, or one day when you die, you'll, you'll have a blessing in heaven. Remember, he said, Christ is the one who's in heaven, and you're to focus on him because he is your salvation. The hope that's stored up for you in heaven is Christ. They're alive in him. And they know that because they've heard the message. That, so this faith and love spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. He goes on to say, it's been bearing fruit and growing uh, around the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. This announcement of the gospel, this message of the gospel about Jesus that they've heard uh, has assured them of their salvation and flowing from that, they have faith and love. 
And when that happens, it really is a miracle. Now, to see the miracle, we need to remember what we are like, what people are like. Uh, Paul describes the Colossians, but we need to own this as well. In chapter 1, verse 21, you are alienated from God, enemies of his. Uh, the places the Bible says we are spiritually dead. No one seeks God out of their own initiative. And so it's absolutely God's work to bring someone to have faith and love. Paul says he's heard about their love that they have in the Spirit. They love because of God is at work in them. If you have genuine faith and real love for God's people, it's because God has been at work in you. You've probably seen the amazing sight of a caterpillar turning into a chrysalis and then coming out as a butterfly. Uh, you know, it's wonderful change, unexpected, almost a miracle. But of course we know, you know the biology is that the caterpillar does have in itself um, the capacity to do that and the, 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 that potential. I, I don't know what the biology is, uh, maybe someone here does, but you know, that's the way God's made the caterpillar. But that's not what it's like when someone becomes a Christian. We don't have in us some potential that means we can change ourselves. When you come to true faith and love, it's like a rock has turned into a, it turned into a butterfly. Completely unexpected, nothing that you can contribute to it. This is not some kind of self-help program that Paul's talking about. This is God's gospel transformation. And I guess we're, partic you know, we're aware of it. We often hear the kind of amazing conversion stories of you know, people who really, who would have thought this could have happened to them? Uh, whether it's John Newton, the slave trader, uh, who ends up writing Amazing Grace. C.S. Lewis, the atheist intellectual who despises the superstitions of Christianity and then comes finally to faith, describes himself as the most reluctant convert in all England. Charles Colson, who was one of Richard Nixon's political hatchet men in the Watergate um, you know, scandal, um, came to Christ, actually ended up confessing to the crimes he'd committed and doing time in jail because of what he'd done. Um, Alice Cooper, a heavy metal rock star, living a typical rock star life of booze and drugs surprisingly converted. So we hear those sort of stories and we think, that's you know, amazing transformations. But what has happened to you is just as amazing. That's why I say we're living in a miracle because it's happened among us as well and happened to us. We know the gospel, we've heard the good news, we've believed it and we're living it. And that is just as remarkable as... Alice Cooper or C.S. Lewis or John Newton or Charles Colson. We may not be public atheists or slave traders. But I'm sure plenty of us have got interesting stories of how we came to Christ and what we were like before that. But if you are a Christian, it is God's amazing work in you. I, I, I look at my own life... Uh, I grew up in a Christian family. 
I grew up knowing about Jesus and knowing the message of the gospel and uh, growing into faith and made an adult commitment at the age of 16. Uh, but in year 12 especially, um, at senior high school generally, that was pretty shaky. In fact, very shaky with parties and non-Christian girlfriend and uh, the excitement and challenge of um, and prospect of academic success and you know during that life during that year I really was moving away from God and I guess when I look at that year now I can see the trajectory that I would have been on if Christ hadn't directed me back and I won't go into all the details about how that happened but I can tell you sometime you'll have your own story And so when we're surrounded by people who have faith in Christ and who love one another, who show faithful friendship to each other for Christ's sake and show love and generosity and work through conflicts with grace and forgiveness, we're living in the midst of this miracle that God is changing people by the gospel. Paul's excitement is not just what has happened to the Colossians, but also that what's happened to them is one example of what God is doing all sorts of places. So he says, verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit and going, growing throughout the whole world. Now, of course, Paul's world is smaller than our world. He's probably thinking about the Mediterranean basin or the Roman Empire. But in his lifetime, he's seen the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Asia Minor, uh, to Egypt and into Africa, around from Asia Minor into Europe, to Greece and to Rome, around to Spain, constantly moving to new cities, seeing new churches established, new nations coming to Christ and he knows that was always the plan that's why I got us to read Isaiah 56 because it's one of those passages in the Old Testament that talks about that God's plan was always not only to be the God of the people of Israel but through them to bring people from all nations to join his people and now Paul sees that happening and he has this lovely image of the gospel bearing fruit and growing. It's like a vine reaching out its new tendrils and spreading out. Uh, now, sometimes when that happens in your garden, what you'd want to do is cut the vine back and get rid of it. But you're not, not this one because it's bearing fruit. Bearing fruit of transformed lives. More and more people of faith and love. Uh, and what's happened in Colossae... And what's happened here among us has been the story of what God's been doing around the world and through history. Uh, we've just had the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales General Assembly this last week. And uh, there was a mission focus during it. And so several times during the assembly we heard from various missionaries. One of the stories that really struck me uh, was a man talking about working in uh, an isolated mountain range uh, in Southeast Asia, you know, code, um, where Christians are persecuted. And he showed us a shot of a 
village way up on a mountainside. It looks entirely inaccessible and talked about how they'd gone to that village and found there were believers there who'd become Christians 20 years ago um, and are still going on, although they'd had almost no contact with other Christians. You know, in, in the little place where you'd never expect to find Christians, there they are. Where is the gospel growing and bearing fruit most powerfully, most quickly in our world today? Uh, lots of estimates would say it's in Iran. So after the 1979 Iranian revolution, Christians were persecuted, missionaries were kicked out, evangelism was outlawed, pastors were killed, Persian Bibles were banned. But it's a bit like the story of China and the, Chi and, and the revolution in China. Uh, in 1979, estimated there were about 500 Muslim background Christians in Iran. Today, estimated there are over a million. And perhaps the next most, uh, the, the, second, the place where the, the gospel is growing at the second fastest rate right now is Afghanistan, partly because of Iranian missionaries going to Afghanistan. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So what does Paul do because of this? Well, he prays. Here he is praying for the Colossians. He tells them their prayer. He says, I, I always am thankful for you when I pray for you. And then in verse 9, he tells them the prayer that he's praying. He's praying that they'll keep going and keep growing. And then at the end of the book, he asks the Colossians to pray for him. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 3, he says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. See, if you're convinced that this is God's great work, this is the great thing God is doing, and it's His work done through His people, but by the power of His Spirit, then we'll pray. We'll pray for each other. And we'll pray for gospel growth and gospel fruit. Uh, we have the most immense privilege of being part of what God is doing in his purpose to bring the nations to himself by sharing it in prayer. Uh, we can sometimes think that prayer is a bit of a sideline activity. You know, if we can't do anything else, well, at least we could pray. I remember years ago being at a church planning day. It was actually down at the Winmalee Church. And we were having to categorise the different activities that the church is involved in and what's outreach and what's discipleship. And we were talking through it and we got to the category of the prayer meeting. And um, you know, the group kind of scratched their heads. What, where would we put prayer? And I said, oh, well, I get, so one of the categories was support for ministry. So we put it in there in support for ministry. And that actually dawned on me, that was completely the wrong way to think about it, right? That we're doing the ministry and, you know, we need to organise the finances so that's support for ministry. We need to have a bit of prayer so we put in that support for ministry. Actually, prayer is at the very centre of what we... It's not the support for ministry. That's how we're involved in gospel ministry, first and foremost, by relying upon God to do 
what he does. So one of our responses to this part of God's word should be to pray, to pray for the growth of the gospel among us and around the world. But the other has got to be what Paul shows us here, thanks. Uh, thanks for what God's done in our own lives, recognising we would never have turned to Christ apart from what he's done. Thanks for what God's doing in the people around us. Uh, it's very easy to find fault with each other and to complain to God about each other, spot each other's failings. But what we need to do is look at what God is doing in our church, around us, and be thankful to him for faith and love. And to see what God is doing around the world as he brings people to himself and to praise him for that and thank him. We have the great privilege to see God change people and to be changed by him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. We, each of us can think of how you changed us, the particular people you brought into our lives, the words that you pressed on our hearts, the things you used to open our eyes. Uh, we, we think of people uh, in our lives, in our families, in our friends who haven't yet come to that and we pray for them. We pray, Father, that you continue to work in our churches, uh, seeing uh, that we might grow in faith in Christ and love for one another. We thank you that you're at work around the world in, in places we can't even imagine and certainly in languages that we will never know. Uh, please continue uh, your great gospel work. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.